This is the podcast about the meaning of concepts in business. All right, so I'd like to welcome everyone to our one more podcast. It's nice winterly Monday morning. Welcome to Biz Culture podcast. And today I'd like to welcome our very nice guest, Professor Victor de Monk. Uh, the, he's a professor of cognitive anthropology. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Uh, pleased to be here. How are you Can doing? I ask you a quick question? Sure. Uh, it sounds like it's live, is it? Uh, it is not, not, not live. We're recording it. No worries. Oh, okay. Yes, I, <laughs> I understood you were recording it, but the way you were speaking, it sounded like... No, 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 no. Okay, just okay. In, in, imaginary audience. All good. No problem. <laughs> All right. So I'm very happy that you're here with us today because mm -hmm. it's something, uh, you know, we're going to be dwelling on different kinds of topics today. But I think that one of the, the, the things that I myself am very much interested in, and I think that this is, you know, going to be one of our focuses, is just speaking a little bit about the ways we communicate and maybe the types of business communication that we endeavor, you know, on, on a daily basis. And uh, we'll see, you know, maybe we come up with some possible answers to ourselves maybe mm -hmm. some solutions or maybe we'll finish with even more questions we'll just see so victor maybe just um, tell us a bit about uh, what are you working at the moment what what are the, the your research focuses or maybe what are the things that you're now concentrating the most on a good question um <laughs> Well, it depends on how you want to prioritize things. So I have a family with three kids and a wife, so uh, that's number one priority. And, and there's all sorts of complications in raising a family and also having a, a life as a professor um, so that there's an inherent schizophrenia uh, in, in most people's lives. That is, they lead one life that is completely different from the other life. They don't flow into each other and the kind of, uh, persona that I am in one life is doesn't work in the other life, in the other things. So um, I think that's a relatively uh, new feature of the industrial age and perhaps the post-industrial age it, uh, has even become more accentuated because we spend more time at work than we do at home. Mm -hmm. So it's a somewhat interesting phenomenon. I don't know how much it has to do with uh, necessarily the 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 business of business, uh, but it does have something to do with uh, how one concentrates on business. Um, so, uh, so my priorities right now, also I was fortunate enough to receive a, a, a fairly large grant, uh, one of the few grants uh, in a highly competitive market in Lithuania, and um, it's a four-year grant, so I'm I'm immersed in that and I'm getting more and more immersed in it. And basically it's about um, love, family and marriage and how uh, love or intimate relationships have changed dramatically since the 1970s in part because of the ease of contraceptives and also uh, the, the, the increase, which is a good thing in the status of women relative to men. It would be nice if men could have 
retain some of their status in terms of education. But uh, uh, so all those things have changed. Uh, uh, contraceptives, different statuses between males and females, and um, and the kind of precarious economy that we live in in these days, and all those things have have changed the way we relate. I think also uh, uh, that we live much more of our lives online than we do in person. And that has radically altered business and intimate relationships. So I'm in, interested in that. I'm one of the few people in the world who uses what are called systematic emic methods. Mm -hmm. Emic methods as opposed to etic methods. So sociologists typically use etic methods, which means lots of statistics. Uh, I also use statistics, but emic methods means that the data you get is developed from the individuals themselves. So I don't put a questionnaire and then test my hypothesis. I ask people questions about uh, their love life, for example, or how they raise children. And, uh, and they give me whatever they say. And from there, I start developing um, different ways of, of collecting information. But the information all starts, it's a grounded up kind of theoretical approach, but the difference between this and a ground and a, and a grounded theory approach is that the intent, the intent is to be systematic through most of the stages. Mm -hmm. uh, systematic meaning that you can repeat what you're doing with another sample, that, that you're careful about the, how you collect data from the kind of sample you use, how you collect the data, and you can repeat it and you can verify the results you got the first time. Um, so, uh, and that's basically what I'm doing. Uh, mm -hmm. Third thing I'm doing, if you want to know, I'm also into development anthropology. So I have a development anthropological uh, work that's being done in India. And I'm a leader of a group of people who are uh, putting together a series of articles on globalization and its impact on development in India. So I have a lot of things to plate these days. I see, I see that you actually have, have, first of all, you have a lot of things on your plate, but at the same time, in, in slightly different uh, social settings, I'd say. I really kind of, uh, we're going to touch about some of those things uh, throughout our podcast, but uh, the thing that I was really interested in at the very beginning, when you kind of mentioned, you know, at first that you're a father, you're a family man, but at the same time, you're a professor, so you have to, you know, kind of balance these things, you know, and, and, and uh, in a way, we also hear, hear this, this idea of kind of social, different social settings. And um, recently, I was in, in also quite an interesting um, a meeting, kind of, you know, whatever you call it. And um, the person, it was kind of a biz business consultation. And the person who was consulting me, he, he asked me a question. So, who, you know, do you consider yourself being a, uh, a lecturer or a business person? Because I also own a, a language school. And I said, well, I, I guess I'm a boy, I'm both, you know. He said, no, that's not a good answer. You have to really identify yourself, you know, whether you're that or that, you know, you cannot be both because in, in business setting, you cannot present yourself as a lecturer because, you know, they, they, don't, they don't need that. They don't need all those, you know, academia things. However, in an academic world, you cannot tell them that you're also a business owner because at the same time, then, you know, there's this kind of light shedding, you know, thing. 
So you have to identify yourself, who you actually are, you know, and what are your priorities. And at that moment, I was actually, I guess, a bit lost because I thought I always identify myself in a different way, you know, as I said, as you said, you know, I'm a family person, I, I'm an academ- academia, you know, member. At the same time, I, I, I um, work in a business setting and uh, it depends on which setting I am at that moment. And, and it depends, you know, that identification that I have with me. So I was just wondering, is it, is it really, do we really have to be that strict you know, in, in putting ourselves into these kinds of uh, little boxes, you know, and, or finding that one box that you have to prioritize. What do you think about that? Um, well, you know, it depends. Uh, business is a different kind of world in some ways because it's formal, but successful business people, I think, are very good at, under, at understanding the informal rules mm-hmm. uh, that underlie the formal behaviors and statements that are being made. Uh, I don't think you can be very successful as a business person just by donning one, uh, uh, one algorithm for how mm-hmm. to behave in, in any particular setting because, because people are constantly doing internal uh, kind of reading of what you're saying and how you're saying it and what you, in your appearance and everything else. So the informal aspects, you know, as I'm fond of quoting Argyle, who says that 80% mm-hmm. of, con- uh, of communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think if you're just thinking about business and just the facts and uh, people are reading other things into that, that you may not want them to read into it. So that's problematic. But yes, I think in, in, in some sense, you know, I. <laughs> It's the difference between a philosophy that each identity is like a classical category. You're either that cat, you're either belong to that kind of persona or category mm-hmm. of being, or else you belong to another one. So it's either an apple or an orange, uh, but it can't be both. But on the other hand, uh, most of us, um, most categories, a little bit like, like. Uh, uh, like I think of um, uh, birds, you can have all sorts of different kinds of birds uh, and they can vary in terms of size and some don't look much like birds. Uh, but I think it's the same thing for the categories of when I'm a business, if I'm doing business with someone, which I'm not a businessman, but I have been a uh, businessman. I was very successful, surprisingly, at business in another lifetime 30 years ago. Um, except the mafia came in and destroyed my business, but, but uh, uh, or, or deci- I decided it was better not to be in it, but that's another story. Yeah. Uh, but it is the case that uh, when you're in a relationship with someone and, you're, and there's a goal for the relationship that you also have to be yourself. So that part of uh, the way I am as a person in various settings is, is implicitly or covertly uh, drug into my behavior in, as a professor. So mm-hmm. if I'm in my profession doing my job, still I'm doing it distinct in a distinct way from other professors. And every professor, every teacher, or everybody who's doing whatever, carpenter, they're all doing it as carpenters and they're successful in it, but they all vary. And you can see the variation and you can be okay with it until the until they hit a boundary where they're 
where they're violating the appropriateness or the professionalism of that kind of um, identity that they're supposedly performing at the time. So um, there's a lot of variability there. And that variability is because we're also human beings. You're just mm -hmm. not a professor. You're a human being that brings your personal history and your personality into that. And you also have to let that kind of, you can't just uh, put out, uh, put ropes around that and tie it up. You also have to allow your person to be part of the business because that's who you are. And, uh, and that should aid whatever communication you're doing because you're communicating more than just a denotive, a literal kind of action. You're, you're, you're communicating much more than that. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. it, it does make a lot of sense. And I think that, you know, every time, I think that, you know, having these kinds of identities, whatever we call them, maybe that's a bit too, too big, you know, here, but I think that having these kinds of, you know, uniqueness or identities, it does help us in these kinds of different environments as well, in different kinds of settings, because as mm -hmm. you said, you know, it's, it's not that you just bring, you know, the knowledge or, or that particular sphere, but it's also that you bring your own you know, understanding and own perception, your own perception into things, you know, mm -hmm. and especially in business communication, I think that every time we have to interact with another person, let's say we don't know them, or we, you know, we want to get in contact with, with them, we want to have some sort of, you know, cooperation with them. It's, it's how you, you know, you bring yourself, you bring that everything what you own, you know, and, and then you, you know, you share mm -hmm. it with them, exactly having that nonverbal verbal communication, but kind of being your full self in mm -hmm. that communication. I mean, in that mm -hmm. dialogue, you know, whatever we have it, I think that, that it, it served, it might serve as an asset and we shouldn't be mm -hmm. afraid of that. Right. And there's also the issue, which kind of freaked me out when I first read about it, Mm -hmm. but, but if you think that the mind is modular, which is what most cognitive psychologists think nowadays, uh, that the mind has uh, certain modules that dispose it to behave in particular ways. Um, so, uh, and there's modules for, for being cooperative, but there's also a, a apparently a very, a, mo a module in the, in the mind that recognizes deception. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when, I, when people are supposedly very good at deception, of course, we all know about um, the rule, there's a sucker born every eight seconds or so yeah. mm -hmm. uh, by P.T. Barnum. Uh, so deceptions uh, sometimes work, but nevertheless, we're pretty good at recognizing deception. And I think it's very important in any kind of communication uh, to try not to be deceptive. Mm -hmm. Uh, and to try, and by that, I mean, just to kind of relax and trust yourself, trust that if you're going to be honest in that relationship, uh, I mean, you, there's things you probably don't want to say, and there's things that you want to say that are to your advantage, uh, and you don't want to say, you, you want to be able to filter and, and be smart about what you're going to say. Uh, but on the other hand, aside from being smart, you should, I think, always try and be honest because it's very hard to, to deceive or to lie about something without other people kind of feeling it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that might be a helpful thing to, to I, realize. I think that this is one of the kind of core things. And especially uh, what I always wonder about is uh, 
you know how how nowadays well not only nowadays but but there are many many of those kinds of seminars techniques uh, you know where where they teach uh, future business people you know or future kind of negotiators you know these kinds of mm-hmm. different types of you know how to persuade people how to you know influence them you know different kinds of phrases and things that you should say that you should not say you know the, you know kind of you know mm-hmm. turn the person into you know get some sort of leverage and uh, i guess that um, we we kind of you know and and if if you kind of look you know if you if you talk to to different kind of people in a way you might find the same kind of thing over and over again you know in these discussions and these dialogues because kind of they, they all are trying to sell you the same kind of thing or you're trying you know so it's mm-hmm. in a way the thing that I always kind of pay attention to the most is really when you when you get that element of realness you know when you suddenly feel that all right it's not that constant you know machine of the same kind of speaking but there is this element that oh that person is really have that kindness or realness you know element that mm-hmm. that 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 is not you know in in the majority let's say of cases and i think that we tend to forget that as you said you know this element of realness this is super important in the nowadays when everything is so you know taught and learned and uh, we have to behave the way you know we have to in a way so so mm-hmm. the k- kindness always wins and, and again kind of returning to this point of love you know that you were saying isn't it that that this element of love you know or this kind of warmness of the relationship this what makes even good business and the the good communication in business it's it's also a very important element at least this is what i always thought Mm-hmm. Well, it can be. Obviously, there are people like Donald Trump who, who don't follow that and seem to be successful. So there's probably many roads that lead to Rome. Uh, but, um, but in many ways, I, I think you're right. It, it depends a little bit on the person mm-hmm. um, and also what they inherited. Um, in the case of Donald Trump, he inherited quite a fortune. But, um, but what I wanted to say about that was... Because when you say you learn these narratives about how to sell something, mm-hmm. and my first instinct is to say that's a negative thing, but then I thought about it more. And I think those narratives can work because there's smart people who created those narratives. So those narratives are there for a reason. I mean, some of them may be terrible, but one would assume that a lot of them uh, are useful tools to use. But I think they're only useful tools to use if you read it and you believe it. If you think, oh, yeah. this, this narrative, I have to do this, okay, I'll do it, but it's just bullshit or something. And uh, <laughs> then it's, I don't think it's gonna work. So I think it's important if you're gonna buy into a narrative that you also try to figure out a way for you to believe that narrative and using mm-hmm. different perspectives of how, I mean, there might be one perspective where you resist that narrative and another perspective that you find that you can uh, um, you know, incorporate that, uh, mm-hmm. pers- that uh, narrative and believe in it. So that part is important, not just the content, but the way it's, it's stated. And the way it kind of, it, it touches you, as you said, you know, it touches you as a person, you know, it, it kind of right. gives that click, you know, that, okay, that, that's something that I could work with simply because it kind of relates to my value or to my vision, you know? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. of course, I mean, we cannot just simply look at it in, 
sometimes it feels like you know in in the world of cold calls and cold emails and things like that you know it seems like you know, this is mm -hmm. the only kind of communication that we're kind of used to but there's still this human element what about the i was always called kind of interested in this you know stereotyping in, in business communication i guess that you know when when you have these kinds of elements or moments where um let's say you have especially nowadays you know in, in this online communication because you know more and more meetings more and more you know different kinds of uh, mm -hmm. first meetings they, they happen on zoom and on other platforms mm -hmm. and uh, so you turn on your zoom you see that other person you know sitting there and typically you know they're i don't know business like you know personas and, and on the other mm -hmm. hand you know you're also kind of but what what's this uh, that, that kind of first, you know, few moments where you kind of paint that visual picture about that other person, you know, for yourself. Like you think yeah, they're serious, you know, they're, they're professionals, they're experienced, something mm -hmm. like that, you know. So that immediately creates that some kind of, kind of a barrier, you know, because you, you, you visualize, you create that stereotypical picture and, and immediately there's a barrier. So then it's, it's all about, you know, how you're going to, to overcome this barrier, you know, in those five minutes or 10 minutes that you have in that meeting, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's all about how you get that click with that person, you know, how you touch them, how, how you, you know, how you show them who you actually are. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, I think it's such a complicated, um, it's a complicated issue nowadays and, and we don't mm -hmm. know, we don't have the tools yet you know, how to overcome it that quickly. Because in reality, you smile, you can be relaxed, you know, mm -hmm. you can see the full body, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you, you give a handshake. So you feel that, you know, that's a mm -hmm. firm handshake. And here, it's just the wall, you know, in a way. So I think mm -hmm. that this is something that, that we do struggle a lot. Well, you know, we're learning, I guess. Do you think about, do you, have you ever experienced that, you know, online barrier communication or no? Well, you know, the pandemic and teaching taught you <laughs> enough experience. Um, but I think it's it's interesting. I don't think you can do I don't know. It's partially because I'm uh, older. And though I think I'd be the same if I were a 20-year-old today, but you never know. I'm older, and I grew up in a pre-internet time. And mm -hmm. uh, but I think there is in psychology in studies on morality, that there's proximal and distal morality. Mm -hmm. So for example, if we were together and having coffee and uh, you started coughing or I started coughing or I spilled some coffee on myself, you'd immediately, if I spilled coffee on myself, you'd immediately be concerned and you'd be attentive to my predicament. Um, so, you know, if we see somebody and we're going down the street and then there's an old woman, she gets off out of the trolley bus, she slips over the, the sidewalk and falls down, somebody is going to help her. Um, so we do care about people when we're close to them. But, uh, but, uh, and I, but I don't care about people getting shot and brutalized every day in foreign countries. I mean, I do care about them in an abstract way, but I don't really lose a minute of sleep yeah. over this. Uh, so the idea is, the idea here is we're hardwired to be to to activate our moral antennas when we're in a face-to-face -face relationship uh, in person. But we're not hardwired, and we have a very hard time keeping our promises 
and, and engaging in moral behaviors that they cost us some effort uh, when, we're in a pro when, it, when we're in a distant relationship. As I said, uh, I don't think about what's going on in Syria very often, and I certainly don't act on it and give $25 every, uh, every day. My phone is ringing somewhere, but it's in another room. Um, Sorry. So the idea is proximal versus distal morality, and proximal morality, we're hardwired for. Uh, distal morality, we're not. So this kind of relationship we have now, in some sense, is somewhat deceptive, simply because it seems like we're in a proximal relationship, but we're actually in a distal relationship. The other factor here is that if I have a student come in or a friend come into my office or we're talking, uh, but let's say it's person to person, as soon as I walk out the door, the door is like a portal to, that wipes away my memory of what happened inside the building. So I can say, and we can say, I've done this many times and it's like a comedy or where somebody will say, oh, we're gonna to get together enough dinner next week. I'll phone you up about this. Then the person leaves and nothing happens. Uh, or I've done that myself. So the thing about being together and doing business is that there, your moral antenna and your concern for each other is kind of activated, or it's at least in the process of being activated. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're uh, in a more, even on Skype, uh, and you know, when we turn this off, it's almost as if it never happened. It doesn't have the same uh, duration in our memory and in our, our, our sensibilities afterwards. So I think in terms of business, you can probably do lots of successful things online and make business deals here, but I would, would be wary of how enduring they are after the session has ended. Oh, that's such a true element. I mean, I, I, I kind of relate to every word what you say exactly. I think that it's, it's like, you know, what happens um, when you have that real kind of life memory with a person, you do mm -hmm. have that feeling that, okay, I closed the deal or I had a good discussion, you know, or something like that. However, when it happens online, it, it's almost the same, but as you said, once it's closed, when it's done, you know, you, you, you just uh, close your window down right. and you move on to another meeting and you move on to another thing. So there's no, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, you know, this uh, reflection moment or something like that, because usually it's, it's this online world, virtual world. It happens, everything happens so quickly and you don't have that moment to reflect, to actually think about it, you know? So what has mm -hmm. just happened, you know? What have I done? What have I said, you know? Because usually I remember when you would uh, finish a meeting or something, you would drive back. So while driving, you would think about it, you know? You would uh, put some dots, you know, or things like that. And now you just switch on to another switch on to another. So I mm -hmm. guess that's, you know, one of the new things that we have to get used to. What about the roles? Um, I don't think we'll get used to it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not a matter of getting used to, I think it's a matter of, uh, of, of how, what we are as human beings. I mean, we've spent millions of years or hundreds of thousands of years, if you want to go to modern homo, sapien uh, 500,000 years. We've spent it in face-to-face -face relationships. Uh, so I don't think we're wired to be able to transport 
that kind of way of interacting with people online in any, in a way it's somewhat analogous, but it doesn't have nearly all the dimensions or depth or, or, or um, consequences uh, that it would have in person. I don't think we'll ever get used to that. We can get better at performing online and we might even learn how to, to learn and teach online a bit better, but it'll never be the same. It can't no, it, be. It cannot be the same, definitely, because, you know, it's, 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 I think that, you know, it's, it's sometimes how people say, you know, I miss that, uh, I miss talking to you, you know, I miss discussing with you, and it feels like, well, we still do that, but it's not, you know, having a cup of coffee together, it's such a, you know, it, it I, I guess that it creates this intimate relationship between people in business, whatever, you know, even right. if you have that, a bit of, you know, qualitative 20 minute chat you know in a cafe mm -hmm. or having you know a cigarette with something i don't know it's just you know how it used to be in <laughs> those kind of you know intimate moments that created that relationship between people and 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 uh, it, it it evolved into something more than into something less but that's you know how what do you think that um nowadays especially when everything when the majority of things happen online and not necessarily but that we somehow also forget or it's still the, you know, this kind of hierarchy or the roles have somehow changed in communication or especially in business communication where, you know, you feel that you're speaking to your manager, you speak to the new client, prospective client, let's say. And when you switch onto Zoom and you kind of feel that everyone is equal, there is no uh, hierarchy anymore in a way. Do you, have you felt that or do you think that that's not, not, not the truth yet? Well, I think that's an interesting point. And I haven't thought about it so, but my first response to that is, uh, no, I don't think you're right. Mm -hmm. um, I think, and I, the only reason I think that is I've been on many meetings on Zoom when there's 20 or 30 people there, or really only three people are doing the majority, or one or two are doing the majority of the talking, yes. and the others are scared to death of talking. They're, I mean, they're, they're muted and, and the video is off. And sometimes the video is on, but only for a brief second. So. I mean, the hierarchy is easy to see in, uh, on, in Zoom meetings, uh, but the feeling of hierarchy may be not mm -hmm. so easy to feel. Yeah, I guess that, you know, especially with this function of turning off your camera and being able to say something, <laughs> nobody mm -hmm. sees you in a way. So it's, it kind of, it gives you maybe, in some cases I've noticed, in some cases it was very interesting to observe that people become a little bit more courageous, however, without their screen, you know? So, so it seemed like they kind of, they still put on that wall of protection for themselves. They, they, they mm -hmm. you know, say something, they comment on something, but, um, but they still feel that they're in a way protected, you know? And they would never be able to do that, let's say in a, in a real life meeting because of, of again, of people, maybe um, different opinions, you know, and then uh, maybe again, they're afraid of, 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 of their, managers or something like that so so that's also an interesting I've, I've noticed that and i i sometimes say also think about that you know is it that that interesting kind of you know domain for us now you know how i observe it with students as well when in in classes you know just some of my most let's say students who would speak the least now i notice that they kind of they're not as afraid to express themselves simply because they have that you know protective shield of, mm -hmm. of, of uh, turning their camera off. But again, it's, it's, it's just a thing. What about um, kind of, you know, where you've mentioned that, and I think that, you know, this is something that 
this is one of the core things that we tend to forget. You've spoken, uh, of course, you, you, you spoke you know, about that, that continuous research about love, family, you know, and, and relationships that you're going to be working, that you're working on at the moment. Uh, but let's maybe kind of go a little bit, not deeper, but maybe let's touch a little bit this, this element of, of love in business, of in business communication. How, how can we see it? How can we use it? You know, and, and maybe how can we not forget it in, in, in our communication? Um, well, I think in a couple of ways, um, first of all, I, I can get at this kind of indirectly first. I mean, one of the reasons for studying love, which is, uh, that I had was everybody's a genius. At least all women are geniuses about their love life. Uh, men, not so much, but <laughs> that's, uh, but of the hundred, or over a hundred women that I've interviewed in different countries of the world, uh, they've all been very smart about, about analyzing their love life in micro detail. Uh, there's maybe one man out of 40 who is, who, who shows some intelligence in detailing their uh, love life, not many. Uh, it's interesting. Um, so, but, but one of the reasons uh, that I think that one of the reasons I study love is because love is one, one of the few conditions under which people make volitional sacrifices for other people. And I think it's very important for the world to sustain itself uh, that people are willing to make volitional sacrifices. Uh, for for the sake of the public good, um, so global warming, the pandemic. There are times we have to make sacrifices for the public good, and that's become a difficult thing. But that's all rooted somewhere in in that in in, in love, in, in caring. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, so love doesn't have to be just romantic love, uh, mm -hmm. but love is a is a way that we. Uh, is a way that we're volitionally altruistic. Um, and I think it's important to figure out what the mechanisms of that volitional altruism are. Uh, so that's really one of my interests here uh, in love is to figure out uh, those mechanisms. Um, in business uh, relationships, one of the things that you need to do is what Margaret uh, Gilbert called to create a plural person. So if I'm talking to you and you're, you're if I'm person X and you're person Y and we're, you're in it for your profit and I'm in it for my profit uh, and we can never come to a kind of a understanding of, of me and you as a we, then it becomes a little bit harder to figure out how to cooperate to get things done. We may not make as much profit as we, as if I'm an I and, and you're a you, but uh, but uh, uh, me versus you kind of relationship may work in business relationships where there's a, a dominant hierarchy. So if I'm dom if I'm the master and you're the slave, then I can tell you what to do and I don't have to worry about the we unless there's a bunch of you and you're going to revolt against me. Uh, but as long as it's clear that I'm in this in that position, but when we see each other more and more as equals, then we have to uh, readjust our, our ambitions and our relationships 
to wants of cooperation and, um, and being able to recognize that the other people's interests also have to be met in this relationship. So then we become a plural person and we have a commitment, uh, a shared commitment to each other. And we do this all the time in driving. You know, I, I live on Pulasco Street. It's, it really is busy, too busy with cars because there's all, mm -hmm. this, uh, uh, all these apartments going up here and there's all sorts of construction being done. So a road where two cars can pass now is where one passes. So they have to make, they have to cooperate all the time that somebody is going to slow down so somebody <laughs> else can pass. And this, and then there's, uh, and now you're the pedestrians like me, we're, because I don't have a car, uh, we're walking and dealing with the same thing. So there's a lot of cooperation that goes on. And in that sense, we become plural persons because it's for everyone's benefit. And we make little sacrifices mm -hmm. along the way, hopefully without getting too angry at each other for doing that. But for the most part, Human beings seem to be able to manage creating a plural person in which both parties um, uh, gain something out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I think one of the things is to figure out how to be a plural person, a we, and recognize that both people want to make a profit out of this, want to get something good about out of this, and uh, then what, how, how you manage that. The other part of this is there's two kinds of interactions. There's one that's, um, that's just short term. So if I'm driving across the United States and my car breaks down in a small town, uh, there's a town called Truth or Consequences that I like to use for this. And it breaks down, a mechanic comes and he's going to work on it. Now he knows that I'm not staying in that, in that city so he can make a profit and after 15 miles, if my car breaks down, I'm not going to come back probably to him. But if we're in a long-term relationship and I move to that town and the car breaks down, I'm not going back to him. So that there's kind of different rules for engagement depending on the person uh, for, for iterative relationships. That is, if you're doing business with the same client and you want return business with the person, or it's a one-time only thing. The one-time only thing just depends on if you're a jerk or not a jerk. <laughs> uh, uh, but the iterative one, uh, even if you're a jerk, you want to treat that, that person better uh, because you want them to come back and they aren't gonna come back more than two times uh, if they feel they've been ripped off both times. So then you have to figure out a way to form a plural person. And that means making a, co making a commitment in which you signal your commitment to that person, not just in what you say, but in what you do. And it has to be vice versa. Biz Culture. This is the podcast about the meaning of concepts in business. Think about uh, three elements or three kind of uh, concepts that come immediately. Uh, I'll, I'll give you these three uh, concepts and you'll just try to immediately tell me what comes into your mind when I share it with you. But just don't think, sure. don't think, just, you know, kind of let yourself go and, and uh, tell me what associates with it, you know? Mm -hmm. So the first one is uh, communication. Inter. All right. I -N -T -E -R. The second one is anthropology. 
Knowing the other. And the last one, but not the least, love. Hmm. The core of being a human being. There you go. I think that that's such a nice, you know, final message to all. <laughs> So Victor, thank you so much. But uh, before before we before I let you go, could you could just give us the last maybe words of wisdom or anything you know that you'd like to share with 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 the listeners? Mm. Yes, I guess I I have I have uh, something. I think it's a little bit longer in the short thing. So. Uh, but I'll give it a shot. Um, so I spend a lot of time thinking about my inner speech. We, and I've had discussions in class about inner speech. We've had some interesting discussions. So um, one of the things I've been really irritated about is um, uh, um, electric scooters. Not because I mind the people on electric shooters, scooters, they have a right to do that, but the infrastructure of Vilnius cannot allow pedestrians are lowest on the stat on the on the pole of survival on the road here, and we're more most at risk. So uh, uh, it's not the person on the scooter, and the, uh, it's really a system where there's no infrastructure that can handle scooters, pedestrians, bikers, and all those tricycle things that uh, are driving people are yeah. driving, the three-wheelers that people are driving. So, uh, and then I told this to the class and then people, people agreed that there were so many people who felt like so much negative emotion about all sorts of things. And then there were, and then I said, sometimes I just feel like I wanna throw myself in front of a car. And I just don't know why I want to do that. And then about 11 people in my class said they felt the same way. They raised mm -hmm. their hands and said, you know, I have that same feeling. I just want to throw myself. And I said, but why do we want to do that? And then someone, because I literally didn't know, I thought about it a lot. And they said, well, because we want to teach them a lesson that what they're mm -hmm. doing is bad. And then I said, that's exactly right. But when I thought about it, how could it be that I had a sense that my sense of being angry at cars and so throwing myself in front of a car would be my solution to showing my anger. Uh, so 11 people felt the same way. So I thought this is not by accident. We're somewhat wired to think, at least a lot of us are, to think that way. A few other people in the class thought about they were drivers and they felt that way about people who were wearing their headphones and not paying attention to the rules and they wanted to just run over them. But my thought then is um, the best way to get rid of negative inner speech, which we're all uh, haunted by a lot of negative inner speech, I think, is to be honest, calm down, uh, uh, and uh, be a little bit understanding to all those people who make us irritated. Um, I think it's very important that that you should that you control your inner speech and you begin to shift it towards uh, a more useful kinds of thoughts. And I think I've been able to do that pretty well, not completely, but uh, pretty well by just being conscious of it. I think it's very important not to just be walking around with silent, angry thoughts. 
when you were speaking about this example about kind of <laughs> jumping in front of that car, I actually have that feeling quite often as well. Now, now when you kind of made it loud, I thought, oh, really? I do have that feeling as well. But what, what I do when I have that feeling, I, I start, I don't know, but subconsciously I start counting till three. I don't know why I would have like one, two, three. So I think that, you know, kind of mm -hmm. I do that feeling of calming myself down you know just kind of letting it go and then it, it just passes you know they pass and i'm done right it, it, it works it does work yeah, yeah. whatever works but i think in business there's a lot of tension and there's mm -hmm. a lot of dissatisfaction and a lot of inner speech gets built up and it because it behooves you really to try and uh, rather than listen i mean you 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 listen to it but you slowly figure out ways to stop it from taking over your inner speech because you only live so long. And you don't want to sit there with useless inner speech just being angry. Yes, and I think that very commonly we create uh, we create a problem before it even is there, you know, with, with exactly. negative emotions and, and everything that we have in us. We just think that, oh, we kind of have that thought, thought of errors, you know, that it's definitely bad. Something is wrong. Something will be bad. But it's nothing is actually that mm -hmm. bad. As, that and it's moment. also, I think it's important to have a kind of a tit for tat idea. There's game theory and game theory tit for tat is very important. And tit for tat means uh, it, when I see somebody, I'm willing to cooperate with them mm -hmm. uh, until they prove me wrong. But when they prove me wrong, you don't necessarily keep cooperating because then you kind of become a fool. Um, so you want to go into most relationships assuming that people are honest and, and want to cooperate in, and play the game fair. Uh, but if you continually get uh, a sense that they're not being fair, then you should just exit from that relationship. Mm -hmm. Just as, as, as you know, as easy, although it doesn't sound that easy, but that's the truth. I think, you know, that that's the, that's the thing that we should always kind of think to ourselves. If, if it doesn't serve you or you don't feel that truth of connection, that's it. Well, people are flawed, so they can, they can not serve you one or two times. But if it's a continual thing, then that flaw is part of their character. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm always saying people are flawed. I'm flawed. Everybody's flawed. Uh, in some ways, uh, so you have to let out a little bit of, you can't just get angry at the first time they're, they do something. <laughs> of but, course. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. Well, I think that I always like, you know, and uh, kind of we want to conclude, but at the same time, we create an even better, you know, kind of discussion and it kind of raises all those additional questions. But in any way, it's pleasure. It's pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Uh, it was something, you know, that I hope that all of our listeners, they, they will definitely, you know, gain some something that they haven't heard before. And maybe we've reminded them something, you know, so mm -hmm. that's always good. And I'd like to finish up with this, you know, this wonderful idea that you've mentioned over and over today, you know, that we have to kind of activate our <laughs> moral antennas or just, I think that, you know, that's one of the things that we should definitely do is just activate our communicative antennas, you know, or cooperational antennas every time we, we, we speak to people. That's, that's mm -hmm. the most important thing. So, right. yeah, thank you. Well, thank you very much. And yep. much success with uh, the podcasts and your teaching. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great day. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Pleasure meeting you. Take care. Okay, see you. Bye. Bye. This is the podcast about the meaning of concepts in business.